Agents Podcast. This episode of Lab Code Agents Podcast is brought to you by Link U. That's L I N K, the letter U. Link U increases your referrals and conversions with automated and personalized digital follow up. Link U's ultimate follow up machine and done for you follow up services can save you time, money, and energy by putting your follow-up on autopilot. And that's something we all need. This is how you get in front of your SOI and past clients and all different types of leads to get that consistency that you've been looking for. You want to learn more? Then you've got to attend one of their webinars hosted by LinkU's CEO and my friend, Wesley Rocha, where he reveals his follow-up secrets and the fastest way to double your real estate business. You can register now at www.followuplab.com. Trust me, this is not something you want to miss. Register now at followuplab.com. Welcome back, Lab Code Agents, to another episode of the Lab Code Agents podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited for today's interview uh, because I have a feeling I'm going to learn like 10 new things here because this this young lady that I, we are bringing on is uh, like 10x smarter than probably most of us. Her background is as a chemical engineer uh, who also studied material science. I didn't even know what that was until about three minutes ago. And I already warned her. I'm, I've got some questions for her. So this is coming but she has taken uh, kind of a, I guess, a, a shift in her career and moved over to our world in the real estate world, where she now is a co-founder of a platform called the Housing Joint Venture, where she helps professionals explore income property ownership uh, as a safety net to diversify or create wealth. And we are going to talk about that today for two purposes, primarily one Obviously, you as realtors and those of you listening today, you know, you might want to be a better investor and, and, and she's going to help you do that. Uh, also, uh, she's going to help you on uh, to, to kind of learn how you can educate your buyers, uh, your potential investors about how they can be better investors. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Rochelle Dilia. You got it. You got it. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Awesome. It's, it is, uh, this is going to be fun. You know, usually I'm interviewing, you know, very obvious guests that have a relation to real estate, right? And I would say that with a background in uh, chemical engineering and material science, what the heck? Like, hey, <laughs> tell us, tell us about kind of how you got to where you are and, and what, yes. what led you to this point. Absolutely. And it's not as disjointed as it sounds. It's actually a very cohesive story. <laughs> Perfect. Give so, it to me. I, I will. I will. So, yes, I studied chemical engineering all the way throughout. So undergrad all the way up to a Ph.D. But I will say my dad was a petroleum engineer. And one of the things that he always told me was it doesn't matter how educated you are. Life always happens. And so what that means is you need to have some own financial resiliency on your own. And so I kind of grew up with the idea that you need to have something else in your back pocket. And I, I pretty much determined pretty early that real estate was my path. I fell in love with HGTV, like I think a lot of us did. <laughs> and so very, very quickly, like immediately out of undergrad, I bought my first little condo to live in, in Austin, Texas, which, you know, I, I don't think there's a better place to spend your 20s than Austin, Texas. Just mm, yep. fabulous. So anyway, I, uh, I bought that little place and I just rented out the spare bedroom to my department mates. And the idea was, you know, just to keep it as a little rental. I didn't have really big real estate goals at the time. My idea was, you know, I'll be a professional engineer and I'll get a few houses along the way. And if I have 10 houses by the time I retire, you know, I, I will have made it a thousand dollars a month. That's 10 grand. All, all things good. Well, it, it kind of happened that way, but in, on a much more accelerated path. So when I finished grad school, um, I started my career in the building materials industry. So I got a job looking behind a microscope at what are building materials, roofing shingles, insulation, the stuff actually used to make a building. And, you know, I sat behind a microscope and kept doing what I was good at. Uh, but I started, uh, I moved to Columbus, Ohio. And let me tell you, Ohio at that time, this is about 2014 or so, it had not fully recovered. And so long story short, I ended up really accelerating my portfolio growth and having about 14 units within two years of starting my first, dare I say, big girl job. And so you kind of have to reevaluate your goals when you reach them very quickly. And so I remember one afternoon, I went to this small apartment community that 
I have. And I just kind of drove around and it was previously an eyesore in the community, like vacant, boarded up, an eyesore, totally not pretty. But at this time, it was totally fully, fully renovated and fully occupied. And I just went on the afternoon, I needed to change an air filter or something. Everyone was minding their own business, children playing in the yard, the moms are, you know, sweeping off the stoops and everything. But it hit me, if we hadn't taken the risk of actually going out and saying, hey, I can be an, a, an actual influencer in this community and actually be the person to, to make this not just a building, but actually a place where people's lives happen. Wow, it, it would not have it would not have transformed. And so at that point, I'm like, wow, you know, there, there's a, there's more to real estate than just numbers on a balance sheet. This is where people's lives happen. And for me, it just really it felt like investing at, at a much larger scale was imperative and really something that I needed to take a more active and proactive role in. And so that's where Housing Joint Venture was born. I love it. I've, I've got a few questions. I got a few things to unpack there. First of all, you were replacing the air filter. I mean, but you don't you don't have people for that. I know, I know, I know. I'm terrible. Hopefully, some of the other agents can can you know <laughs> empathize with me of needing to build a team. <laughs> so with with that property, just because I'm curious, yeah. Um, uh, did you did you do the re? So did you buy it when it was in a poor condition, and then you yes. upgraded it? You did okay. Yeah. So so this was actually back in the day when Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, they did bulk sales. So basically, instead of just buying, they had basically types of property. And so instead of just buying one, you had to buy them like multiples of them. And so actually, this was a condo community. There are 11 units and the previous owner had purchased them all and brought them all into one and basically got a blanket note on it. He lost them for basically they went under foreclosure process. And so I was able to buy 10 of the 11, well, actually nine of the 11 at that time. And then number 10 came later. So it was a Freddie Mac sale. Interesting. And so, um, and we probably get into this, but here I, here I go diverting already. Um, I'm <laughs> no curious, problem. No problem. Cause I think this is important for people to, to hear, especially anybody, really literally anybody mm-hmm. is, is a potential investor in real estate. We all think about that at some point in our lives. You were, you're, you you appear to be very young to me. Um, and, and I, 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 I am in my early 30s. So, okay, so you I, are I did, very, you are very Yes, young. I am. I am. Like I even, mentioned, you were very younger then. Um, <laughs> I was very younger then. So I think I was 27, 7, 8, something like that. Okay. So yeah, how, how, did you, how did you go about financing and then also paying for the rehab? I think a lot of people would be curious as to how you were able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm totally transparent. So like I said, mentioned, PhD in chemical engineering. I had a day job healthy salary. So making six figures, it's easy to get financing. Easy peasy. Simple that. as that, huh? It, you know, it, it's what it is. So I'm awesome. sorry if that's disappointing to anyone. No, not at all. I, I, I think there's a testament to, to just doing it the right way. You probably maintained a, a high credit score and you probably maintain your credit and you did it the way you're supposed to do it, right? Yeah, it, it was very, it was very simple in that regard. And I will say it, it was not simple to get it financed because it was completely vacant at the time. And so the number of, and, and I'm sure the agents already know that you wouldn't go to a big Chase Bank, you know, Bank of America, you're going to go to a smaller regional or community bank. And I had to sell it, like, no, make no bones about it. I literally had to make a proposal, like a prospectus and say, this is what we're looking for. This is our lease up schedule. Um, here are photos of the what, of what it looks like as is today. And based on the renovation timeline, what the market rate rent is, we think we'll be able to have X amount of income. And so if you gave me a loan, amortized over 20, you know, what a normal commercial loan is. So amortized over 25 years, it's going to have a seven year balloon. I, I anticipated a 6% interest rate. You know, I, I gave it like literally said, if you do this, this is what will happen. This will be our income. This will be our mortgage. This is a, this is a, a no brainer. Even with that, when I tell you I had to hit the phone lines, I'm not exaggerating. If I say it took probably at least 60, literally 60 local banks before wow. I got two maybes two maybes. Because at that point, I only had my Austin house and then two two individual rental houses in Columbus before this apartment community. So not that I didn't have experience, but three units to this one, you know, it was my first time getting commercial financing. It was, so yeah, yeah I'm not going to well, say not, that. Not to mention the banks still had a, probably a, a sour taste in their mouth. I mean, how, how many foreclosures did they have? How many properties did they have to take back? Um, and this was one that was foreclosed on. Yeah. So absolutely. So it took some convincing, but you know, and something something we'll get into a little bit later is really being comfortable with the data and really making the case. 
like in any sort of investing, real estate, stock market or whatever, there's a bull case and a bear case, a pro and a con. And so if you can say, hey, based on everything that's going on, this is why this is a solid investment. This is not risky at all. This is a shoe in. This is wonderful. The price point on that was phenomenal. Columbus, Ohio, 2014. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, 2015. It was about 2015 at this point. It was when it came together. Awesome. Yeah, it awesome. Was, well, yeah. and I and I do want to get deeper in that, but before we do, I, I I and I told you this, I want to digress and ask you the whole material science thing. First of all, yeah. Who gets into that? Um, <laughs> Nobody. Like, right, right. I mean, who even thinks of that? And then you, you're talking about you know using a microscope, and I'm thinking, you know, building materials are big. You're not putting right. much under a micro. Obviously, I'm ignorant to this. Oh, um, yeah. So, so I need to know like what that even means, material science, what you're actually doing. But then I also need, we also need to pick your brain about mm -hmm. what's happening in the world today. Uh, because, you know, building prices are through the roof. I mean, yes, they just are. to go get a board at Home Depot, it's like three and a half, four times the cost. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about material science, first of all. And then, of course, we need to know like what your opinion is about what's going on and what maybe you think might happen. Absolutely. And come on, lab coat agents, come on. You, you got to get the science. Totally oh, down. Oh, well played. Well, played. let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so basically, so chemical engineering is a is a broad, a broad discipline. And there are a lot of sub disciplines within chemi. I call it chemi for short. Um, and so material science is just really more like an applied science. So basically, I actually studied nerve regeneration. So we have a full nervous system in our bodies. We have the basically the peripheral nervous system is what I studied. So that's everything outside of the brain and spinal cord. And so essentially what I did in grad school was say, hey, if someone has an injury, or a, a disease, so think like um, if you know any diabetics, they may have tingling in their toes or lower extremities. Um, that is what is known as neuropathy, meaning that the neural, the neural, the, the neurons are dying away and that's what's causing that tingling feeling. So my research was, hey, what if I could use something I'll call it either as, either as an implant or as a way to regrow those nerve cells, essentially nerve stem cells, then we can reconnect those nerve ends if they've been severed or again in a disease state before they totally die away. And so my research was on that, I'm gonna call it an implant just for, for conversation's sake. And so essentially I made little packets of jello that helped nerve cells grow. That's what I studied in grad school. Now, what does that mean for building materials? What that means is I know what it looks like when you have ecosystems that allow matrices or how do I describe this well? Intertwined networks to interact together well, okay? So think about it like a mesh. And I have an overlaid mesh, and you know how Velcro works, so you have those hooks and loops? Similarly, there are lots of networks in polymers, which are basically bioplastics that occur in our body naturally. You can use those to create networks kind of like Velcro within the body. So long story short, our building materials, so things think like drywall, again, insulation, roofing shingles, those are all networks of their own. For example, insulation, fiberglass insulation, you have these I'm called sticks of glass that are held together with glue, but that glue is actually a polymer or a plastic that is actually quite similar to the same plastics that are naturally occurring in our body. And again, those are known as polymers. So all of these are networks and the whole idea is how can you have that network to perform most efficiently? So if as a manufacturer, they want to figure out how they can use the least amount of the expensive part, i.e. the glue. So if I can use the least amount, then I could have the same performance at a lower cost. And so that's why I was sitting under a microscope, because I needed to make sure that every time those sticks of glass overlaid each other, I can put the littlest amount of plastic at that, just at that interface. I don't want it everywhere. I just want where these two interact and overlap with each other. So hopefully that's helpful. Wow. I mean, I think that there's a few of us, uh, and I, I'll probably be the first one to admit that I had to wipe a little drool off my face because um, <laughs> you know, it's just right over my head. But yet you, <laughs> you said it best. Like, how can I describe this? And the way I was like, you mean dumb it down? Um, I, I wasn't going to say it, but I'll say it for myself. Maybe not nobody listening, but you had to dumb it down for me. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, um, hopefully that's helpful. But I mean, yeah, well, so it, 
it validates what I said in the very beginning about how you're like 10x smarter than most of no, us. No, 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 you're, you're exactly right. But people don't think about how, how much thought goes into the items that allow us to live our daily lives. Yeah. So chemical engineering is a wonderful discipline, just if anybody's uh, shopping for another career. Fascinating, <laughs> So now that we're on to this, so you, you studied material for a while. Now here we are Correct. in the pandemic and all of a right. sudden the price of materials have gone to the roof. It's right. screwing up. It's it's screwing up uh, home building. It um, is. It so, is. So what what do you, you know? What is your take on it? Yeah, and there are a lot of reasons for that. So basically, I, I got tired of sitting behind the microscope, and so after that, I studied sustainability, which is basically the whole. After I manufacture it, what do I do with its end of life and ultimate disposal? Then the energy code and building code. So how can I make sure that the energies, the buildings are as tight as possible so that as I'm running my air conditioning in the summer or heat in the winter, that the temperature, the internal climate is very comfortable. And so really that, again, got me very interested in this whole ecosystem. And so when we talk about what's going on today, you're right. Studs like a two by four used to be about $2 a stud. Now we're talking about $10 a stud. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Number one, climate patterns are becoming more and more severe. Doesn't matter if you believe in climate change. I think we all know that our climate is really becoming more harsh. That means thunderstorms are more severe, flooding is more apparent. And what that means is that it's more difficult to harvest wood at the rates that we need to, at the quantities that we need to, and being able to really move them around the country as much as possible. So most of the wood in the United States comes from either the Pacific Northwest or from the Southeast, think like Alabama, Mississippi type of region. So if I can't harvest, then that means my whole supply chain is dried up. And so that means supply and demand, things are gonna become more expensive. That's one thing. Second thing is because, again, the, the climate patterns, uh, what, in 2020, there was this huge like caribou exodus, which is like basically caribou is like this deer type of animal. Mm -hmm. And essentially, based on their migration patterns, it totally messed up the whole ecosystem. So you really could not harvest as much timber on the Pacific Northwest as much as possible. So what that means is that from a supply chain logistics standpoint, you have to harvest timber from other parts of the country. Again, really suppressing our supply chain. Number two, wait a minute. Land prices are very what expensive. Heck, what the heck did the caribou have to do with that? So if I and I I, I should have re researched this before getting on and, and mentioning it, but if I remember correctly, it's something about if they I'm I'm, I'm gonna like go out on a limb here and that could be incorrect. So just I guarantee disclaimer. you know more than most of us. So go on. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I could be totally incorrect. But basically as I understand you know, caribou and any other animal in the rainforest, they're going to um, stop down. So therefore their, their waist and their hoof patterns are going to compress all of the foliage in, in, the, in, the, in the rainforest, essentially. So if it's they not are not- rainforest though. Or like in, the in, forest, the, in the that forest, area, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, so in, in that forested area. So if they're not there, if they're dying off and migrating to other areas, then they're not able to compress all the foliage in in on the basically the forest floor and so that's going to make it that's why you have so many forest fires in the pacific northwest even more because now you're going to have more foliage that is um not compressed down and not able to decompose as rapidly as it would be able to otherwise really? so again forest fires are going to become more rampant and more easier easier to light because Again, it stays it up above ground and stay and, and stays probably dries out and becomes exactly exactly. So now you have a lot more again of that dry. I'm going to call it foliage sure. um, yeah. that should have been stomped down and composted essentially and and degraded away. Why? Uh, we're totally getting off base here. Yeah, this is totally down in the weeds. This is right, way right, in the right. weeds. I, I can't help myself. I mean, so is, is there a reason why? Maybe you don't know the answer to this, but now I want to know why have why have the caribou's uh, you know migration patterns changed? The well, uh, the climate. So migration patterns of, and I am not an ecologist, so just I'm well, a little I bit mean, of you, you might as well be. You might as well. <laughs> but I will tell you the animal migration patterns have changed a lot. So, for example, my family's from Barbados, and we love a fish called a flying fish. You kind of hops out the water. Well, flying fish are because of the, again, changing weather patterns, the waters in, near Barbados are not as conducive for flying fish anymore. So now you're seeing them up in the Seattle area, which is totally weird, right? And so basically animals are migrating to areas where they can be in waters where they feel more comfortable. They're moving in different areas of land. And so again, it's just really 
walking, making our whole ecosystem very wonky. And so that's why we're seeing, again, severe weather patterns, more fire, more flooding, and all these things that, again, goes down to, I can't harvest wood, things like that. Right. Yeah. Well, when, when somebody asked me, you know, about material cost, my answer is, is the supply chain. I don't, I've never thought what you just said, uh, and maybe they don't intentionally talk about it for a reason, but uh, so that's, that's reason number one, two, three. Uh, right. Gone. You also have labor costs going up as well. You know, we're all in a digital a environment. We, we like to make money via podcast as opposed to with our hands. And so do other people as well. So that means labor costs are much more expensive. And because it's hard to get people to want to do the work, it's yeah. just hard to find people find actual labor and skilled labor is, you know, they're retiring and dying off. So even if you do have someone that is willing, they may not have the skill level. So again, those skilled workers are going to be much more expensive and they deserve to command a higher price point. So they do. Right. Interesting. AKA the younger generations don't want to get their hands dirty. Do not at all. Do not at all. Your generation, your generation, Rochelle. Yes, correct. Millennials. What are we doing? Open a roofing company. (laughs) Start being a carpenter. (laughs) There's opportunity. There's opportunity. It's a legitimate opportunity. You can't find a carpenter or handyman or anything in these parts. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. That's awesome. It's absolutely crazy. Okay. So uh, then, then there's the supply chain issues, Mm -hmm. which now I I know you mentioned this in the beginning, like you can't predict the future, but you know what? You're as smart as anybody I know on this. So, uh, you know, what do you think? I mean, do you think, so obviously the climate changes, that's not going to change. That's just, that's not going to rectify itself. Right. I don't think labor is going to rectify itself. You know, the other thing is, you know, at the time of recording, we are, maybe near the end of the pandemic, right. you know, and stimulus money has just been dropped from the sky. So I think inflation is coming, obviously more supply, you know, it just, it's less value. Each dollar is less valuable. So I, I don't want to say this time is different, but I, I think that the, the input or the outcome of what this looks like is going to be, it's going to be an entirely different world. Uh, the beautiful part is that real estate particularly on the rental, the income property side, because that income is pegged on a monthly basis, i.e. people have to pay rent, that is going to give you an actual true value of what the value of the property is, as opposed to more speculation like appreciation and things like that. So I think being a property owner is going to be, it's going to be the best time to be a property owner. And if you're not already in or not already owner, it's going to be just that much more difficult. Um, so what does it look like? I don't know exactly, um, but a lot of these issues that are causing higher prices, i.e., you know, climate severity, labor shortages, supply chain issues, that has nothing to do with the banking sector. That has nothing to do with, you know, just overall exuberance in the marketplace. Those are more systemic issues that we as a society have to address. Interesting. Interesting. So what is your prediction for the cost of material? Like go back to pre because COVID also had nothing to do with climate. So oh, yeah. COVID had nothing to do with it at all. Right. I mean, but COVID <laughs> affected supply chain and it affected labor, you know, Absolutely. to some degree, obviously mm-hmm. the aging of society is not, that was not COVID related. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good point that I had not mentioned. Demographics are our destiny. You know, the beautiful part is that baby boomers are living longer, which is an absolute blessing. The flip side of that means that they are staying in their properties longer. So where there normally would have been a turnover, you know, a selling and a purchasing of properties, that's not happening at the pace that we normally would have liked to have seen it. Additionally, my generation, us millennials, you know, we've stayed at home longer as a, as a population. So we have been basically taking a longer time to do that first uh, new household formation. So you really have, you have baby boomers that are like, I don't I'm still active. I'm healthy. And I'm going to live in my four bedroom house where it's only one or two of us and deal with it because I can and it's paid off, you know, great. But now you have millennials that are like, okay, I'm 35 and I have finally paid off my student debt. Now I can buy a house. (laughs) There are no houses for you to buy. Right. And again, that's just a supply constraint issue that, again, I don't see that happening or really resolving itself anytime soon. You know, and, and so we, of course, I talk about real estate all the time. And one of the things we talk about is how the, the government, and I'm, I'm completely going on another base here, by the way. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I love it. We can wax poetic. <laughs> they're doing this $15,000 first time home buyer credit right now, which just makes absolutely no sense because there's no houses to buy anyway. And it's like, why don't you take that money that you've allocated and put it towards builders or put it towards driving down the cost of material, you know? 
But what, politicians are smart. Come on. Or, or are they? Politicians are, are politicians. <laughs> okay. Politicians are politicians. Good answer. You know, their, their main goal is to stay in office. Period. Yeah. And make sure that they're taking the making sure that their uh, their pensions and whatnot are, are mm-hmm. healthy. The their- and their lobbyists are well paid. And that's 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 what their job is. So, yeah. Interesting. I still believe, though, that as, as a politician, you know, you you staying in office is a, oh gosh, we are way off base here. Um, <laughs> but staying in office is is a part of doing what's best that's going to do, receive great public you know, uh, results and re- receive, you know, positive results. Right. And I mean, I, I know what you're, I know what you're, I know. Can tell marketing is a beautiful thing. Marketing, marketing is a beautiful thing. And it's all about how you phrase it. If right. I, if I can, if I can market something that I am doing good for the underdog, you know, then I'm going to win over hearts and minds. You know, I think one of the biggest detriments, to be honest, is this whole moratorium on evictions, because yeah. what you're doing is a supply constraint. So you're telling people I don't have to pay rent. Yeah. Okay, but I still have to pay mortgages. Landlords are business owners, mm-hmm. period. And when supplies, when supply rates go up, you pass those costs, those additional costs onto the end consumer. So, hello, rent is going up. So while you're like really trying to vindicate or make the landlord out to be the evil person, you're really shooting yourself in the foot because now their, their cost of holding the, the building is going up and they're going to pass those. They have to recoup, recoup those costs. Like there, there's no free lunch in this world. Right. So rent are going to go up and people that are already complaining about housing affordability, which is real. Housing affordability is real. Right. That, I mean, that's the work that, that I do. So I totally get it and understand it. But that's not the way to resolve that. That's not the way to resolve it at all. So. Yeah, it's the same Politics thing. Are beautiful or an interesting thing. It, it, well, it's, a, it's the same thing with mortgages too, and and uh, you know, like what's going to come when when that when they stop when it stops and all of a sudden people have to start paying their mortgage again or paying their rent again. Like what's going to yeah. happen? That's what we don't know, right? That's um, what we don't know. The fallout is going to be, I think, the fallout is going to be unprecedented because yeah, we're going to be in an inflationary environment which is that's why it's going to be different from 2008. 2008, we were not in an inflationary environment. So you really could pick things up for pennies on the dollar. What happens when that dollar isn't as valuable? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue. It's a great segue to what we're <laughs> supposed to be talking about. Um, hopefully we're entertaining some people. And I, think this is actually really oh, I hope so. This is fun. Um, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely but, loving it. <laughs> so with, with all of that said, and you yeah. know, we're talking about the moratorium, you're talking about the climate, you're talking about building costs, we're talking about, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I'm all, I'm, I have that mindset of, you know, when the sky is falling or when the sky is sunny, where's the opportunity, right? right? Where's the opportunity? And I think that's what you, that's a big, powerful message that you have to share today about your story and what you do. Yeah. And, and that's what we want people to understand. Where is opportunity here? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's let's get into that piece of this because that's kind of why you're here, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. One, I'm here to wax poetic about real estate because who doesn't love to do that? <laughs> but no, you're exactly right. You know, when we're trying to figure out where there's opportunity and where where is that leading edge because we're all trying to get an edge out in the marketplace, it's really about how can I take the second guessing and really that emotional driver, how can I remove that? so that I can confidently make decisions. And, you know, I'm a scientist, you know, you, you love the science of real estate as well. And so really it's about how can I use data to empower my decisions? You know, at the end of the day, we, whenever you're purchasing a property or investing in a larger syndicate, you want to make sure that you're part of that being in the path of progress. You're not trying to be the person beating the drum saying, hey, believe me, believe me. You're saying, hey, th- these are all these indicators that tell me that, this, is, that this, this, this train is going in the right direction and all I need to do is hop on board. And so that's really what I spend a lot of my time doing is really helping investors figure out what I like to call key performance indicators. And of course, I didn't invent that. Corporate America, you know, any big corporation, they're going to say, hey, these are the key metrics that we need to hit. And either this investment decision, it meets these metrics or it doesn't. They create a business plan for everything that they do. But I don't know what it is about real estate, maybe because it's just so simple. We think, oh, I just buy a house and rent it out and I was going to go well. And you know, six months later, you're crying on the floor wondering yep. why you're not getting paid rent. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
not that I know from experience or anything. I do. I do. I, I can I can write a book about failures in real estate. Look, look, exactly. So, you know, whenever you can say, hey, what what are the metrics that I want to hit that are going to inform my portfolio growth? It's going to help inform my net worth growth. Then you can say, okay, if I'm trying to make, I'm just going to use some numbers just for the sake of illustration. If I need to make $10,000 a month, that's a worthy goal. But if I'm trying to make $50,000 a month, then my decisions, right, and the scale, I probably need to adjust some things because my time horizon is only, we all, we all only have a finite amount of time. And so it's really about scaling what your actions are based on what your, your, your goals are and then re, basically back calculating, okay, these are the metrics that I need to hit. This is the, you know, ROI or cash on cash return that I need in order to make this a reality or not. Cool. So let's get into it. Let's talk about, you know, kind of what you're doing and, and what, I mean, let, let's, let's maybe yeah. give an example of what you're talking about here, because again, you're using, you know, terminology like KPI and ROI and cash mm -hmm. on cash and all this stuff. And, and frankly, listen, if you're a realtor listening to this right now and you don't know what those things mean, hmm, gosh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, um, but you're going to learn now. How about that? I'm yeah, not yes, say you're absolutely going to learn today. Yes, today, you is your, today is your day. That's you're, right. You're, so you're, let's you're talk here. about that. Let's talk let's about that as it, as it relates to investing and creating yeah. that wealth and, and building yeah. a real estate portfolio and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. So I like to think, so I'll, I'll start with how I like to look at the numbers and then we'll bring that back into the real estate investing business plan. So how I like to think about growth is you can look at, buy and hold property because that's that's what I love. I'm a, like some people are a Bitcoin or BTC maximalist. I'm a buy and hold maximalist. <laughs> Dogecoin, don't, don't even get us done. Right, right. Oh my goodness. Elon, what did you do? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but when I like to think about buy and hold, there are two ways that you can think about your portfolio growth. One, of course, is that monthly revenue, right? So cash flow that Robert Kiyosaki made famous. The other one is your net worth goal. Um, so that's when you flip through Forbes and they say X body is worth so many, so many million dollars. They're talking about their ultimate net worth. And so there's no wrong answer, right or wrong answer here. But you have to decide, am I playing a net worth game or am I playing a cash flow game? Because, again, those strategies are different. So when people are playing a net worth game, they're saying, hey, I might sacrifice monthly income because I know that this property is going to increase in value. So, for example, you know, I like as I mentioned, I started investing in Austin, Texas. Wonderful city, absolutely wonderful, fabulous place to live, terrible for cash flow, absolutely terrible. But I ended up selling that property for literally almost double what I paid for it inside of five years. That's bonkers. That, in my opinion, that should not happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Austin is just on this huge upward trajectory. And, you know, they keep publishing that it's the best place to live. And so, you know, I think that's the secret to getting appreciation wherever you invest. Probably helps. Probably it definitely marketing. Helps. Marketing. marketing, marketing, man, marketing. That's the, that's the, that's the ticket. So that's, that's one aspect that you can, that you can choose to employ. A second aspect that you can choose to employ is of course, cash flow. So that says, Hey, I'm going to purchase this property and I'm going to use it for its monthly income. And if I sell it for the same amount that I paid for it, I'm okay with it. And some people may be like, Oh, that sucks. Not necessarily. What if you bought a, a Toyota, you bought a car, you drove it around for five years and then you sold it for exactly what you paid for it. Is that a loss? Not at all. You got all the utility out of it, all the joy, and you still were able to recoup all of your initial capital. Yeah. That's how I like to think of rental property. So if I buy it for 100 grand and I get $12,000 a month, a year, $15,000 a year, and I sell it for what I got, what I paid for it, thank you for allowing me to like preserve my capital and make more money than the bank will ever pay me yeah. with less headache than the stock market. Like that's a win all day absolutely win all day. Is that and, what, is that what uh, real estate coaches though, especially specific to investment or is that what they're teaching? Yeah. I can't speak for other people and what they teach. Um, but I can tell you for, for us, when we help our, our clients, when they try to determine what it is that they want to do, um, we try to help them determine which one is going to be most advantageous for their goals. And instead of just kind of the biggest issue I think that people have is they want it all. They're like, I just want to be an investor and like live on the beach. Well, no, it's they like, want to get rich quick. Correct. 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 While living on the beach. And it's yeah. like that. It doesn't happen that way. Right. I spoke to a young lady yesterday. She's like, I want to be a designer. I want to be a developer. I want to be a ground up developer. I'm like, and you're an agent. I'm like, you might have to pick one. Was this, like, was this a Gen Z or? <laughs> she was not. <laughs> she really? was not. <laughs> no, she was, she was a, uh, 
she was a, a Gen Xer. She was a Gen the, Xer. The, the so silent generation. That's my exactly. Generation. Not not too many. Not too many of them. And no. I'm like, you know, you only have about let's say 15, 20 years of your career left. So you, you kind of got to focus. I'm just saying, you got to focus. Yeah. It's really about taking ten steps in one direction as opposed to one step in ten directions. You know, where you, where you focus and really, really hone in on your time, that's where you're able to make the most progress. And that certainly has been the case in, you know, in on our own personal portfolio, as well as in some of the students that we've worked with as well. Awesome. So let's just say that, let, let's go down two different paths here as, as, mm-hmm. we, as we wind towards the end. Let's give some scenarios. And, yeah. and so as t- twofold, let's start with, you know, coming from the perspective of you are a real estate agent, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you you might want to add another wing to your business uh, with investors and and you can kind of find a niche and and coaching and teaching these people about this stuff how Absolutely. how what what's the path that they need to go like how would you coach them into doing such a thing Absolutely. I think the biggest thing that real estate agents that work with investors will find is that there's a lot of tire kicking, unfortunately, because to your point, everybody wants to get rich very quickly and they haven't done the proper diligence beforehand. And so one of the suggestions that I would make is to really vet them even prior to starting sending listings and making sure that they know what it is that they're looking for, because the one that's going to maximize your time and allow you to vet and really pre-screen properties that are going to be more appropriate for them. And then it's going to allow them to be more effective with their time and of course, not not waste yours. Um, and so again, almost like encouraging them to build their own investing business plan. Say, hey, what is it that you're looking for? You know, how many units do you need to have? What is the total net worth that we're trying to get to? Uh, What is your time horizon? What does property number one look like? How much capital are we starting with? Like really asking those hard hitting questions because there are a lot of people that go to a Saturday seminar and Monday morning they're calling their local agent and you will end up spinning your wheels and you know that's not good for anyone yeah. so really encouraging your clients or would-be clients to be very data driven and so that includes not just the financial aspects because there are a lot of non-financial non-financial aspects when it comes to real estate investing as well so things like what about this overall neighborhood i'll give you a tip when i'm evaluating a property in a neighborhood that i may not be familiar with i'll go to the grocery store because that's going to give you a very good perception of who actually lives there. Is that the client that you want to serve from a demographic standpoint? You know, that that's just, that's the truth. And so it's kind of an insider way to say, hey, it, am I happy with this? With If I put out a, t- a test ad and people reply, is this the type of person that I want to serve? Because of course, real estate investing is a business. And so you have to think about your clientele and what area of the market it is that you want to serve. That's awesome. Um, and so as, as an agent, is there a certain, like, like you had mentioned, like every, you know, and we've talked about here is, is everybody's looking for that get rich quick. They're looking for the flips, right. Mm-hmm. And, and you lean the other right, the, the other way, which is buy and hold. And I'm a lazy engineer. <laughs> well, well, yeah, you're probably much smarter actually. And, and especially nowadays, nowadays it's really hard because of the, the, the property values and whatnot, yeah. probably do the flipping. So you know, is there is there any like one or two or three points that, that they that as an agent, as you're educating, because that's the thing I think that's lost on a lot of agents. It's always, you know, driving leads and, and branding and those sort of things, which are all very important. But at the same token, you can really find a niche in the education, uh, you know, oh, yeah. and actually that that's a content strategy right there that you could really pick up a lot of yeah. eyeballs and followers and potential clients. Absolutely. But where what would be like the, the the two or three things that you would recommend educating them about on the buy and hold side and why mm-hmm. that might make more sense? Yeah. One of the like one of the ideas that uh, concepts that I love is to encourage investing for the long tail. So basically, where can you do one action and get a lot of residual actions or residual benefits from it? So when you're educating your clients about let's say buy and hold or even flipping, one of the main differences is the taxes or the taxes. So you you get a big lump sum when you sell a flip, which is wonderful. And I'm never going to discount having a large lump sum of cash. I mean, you can make some real uh, significant financial moves when you have a large lump sum of cash. At the same time, Uncle Sam says, thank you. I will have my portion. Yeah, <laughs> and and much like 40% larger way than, of it too. Exactly. Mm. In a much larger way than he does with buy and hold. And so I think just really... Un- Real estate investing is as much a tax play as it is an income play. And I think people don't necessarily appreciate that for really what it is. 
depreciation and its ability to drive down your adjusted gross income, basically the amount of money you have to pay taxes on every year, that is so, so powerful. And so when you have buy and hold, you're able to really, you can accelerate that depreciation and you can really capitalize on that depreciation over time. Uh, just I'll, I'll just back up very quickly in case people don't understand what I'm talking about. So basically the tax man, the IRS says that a house is only, you has a useful life of 27 and a half years. So it's only good for 27 and a half years. Okay. So it's kind of like I buy a car. So I buy that same Toyota and you know, you need to replace your vehicle, let's say every 10 years, if you take care of it and things like that. So that means every year you have one tenth of the value of that property goes down. We're not talking about new cars and all that. Just make it super simple. Okay. And a house, the government says the same thing. They say every year you can depreciate one twenty-seventh and a half <laughs> of the value of this property. Now you and I both know that houses and buildings last longer than 27 and a half years. 30 years, they're 100 year old buildings. Oh, yeah. But from a tax perspective, 27 and a half years. So that's beautiful. That means I can take my total investment and write off, I can decrease the actual value of my, how much I have to pay the tax man by 127 and a half of whatever that, of that price is. So if I make 100 grand a year and my depreciation is $5,000, I only have to pay taxes on $95,000. The more properties I own, the more depreciation line items I get, and the less and less I have to pay taxes on. That is the beauty of buy and hold real estate. And so if you educate your clients and really take more of that consultative approach, as opposed to more of a transactional, I'm going to say order taker, right, then you'll become much more of a trusted resource, which I think will be very, very valuable. And then helping them with that mindset, again, of that long-term investing strategy. Because again, if someone has a long-term mindset, then they're going to be a repeat customer for you. I love that. I love that. And not to mention the pool of buyers uh, in the buy and flip is much greater than the pool of buyers in the buy and hold. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, it's, it's, there's more opportunity there. And I think that's the way you need to look at it. So as an agent or as an investor, there mm -hmm. is more opportunity and don't forget, by the way, folks, I mean, like this is, this is a, this has been a great podcast for the sake of just learning some random things, but this, <laughs> but this Rochelle, like, so I'm a big social media content guy and mm -hmm. I hate talking about normal stuff. I hate talk. I'm actually in the mortgage business. I hate talking about that stuff because it's boring. Nobody's interested in that. I'd rather talk right. about data and interesting things. And right. I just did a, a video the other day about Gen Z and why it's relevant, why you should be paying attention to them and things like that. Uh, I like data. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll probably create videos out of two or three things from this podcast. Awesome. Um, tag but, me, tag me. <laughs> oh, hell yes. But, but the point is, folks, agents, realtors, like this is an opportunity for you guys. I mean, like we should be creating content around things like this. Mm -hmm. People aren't talking about this. And this is how you gain more eyeballs. This is how you gain more, more, you know, more listeners. This is how you gain more followers because you're educating them. And you're not talking about something that everybody else is talking about. You're talking about different stuff. Right, right. And you so, really can differentiate yourself by really oh, offering a whole perspective that no one else has and no one else is talking about. Everyone, everyone can talk about multifamily versus single family. People can't talk about how climate severity impacts supply chain and how that impacts building costs. People don't Crazy. talk about that, right? You know, and even more innovative building materials, like what if I want to use recycled materials? you know, and things like that, as opposed to things that are brand new or as they call it, virgin materials. These are all really cool and interesting aspects. Um, even the different building patterns, like home style design based on different geographies, you know? So what about the, the Adobe from New Mexico versus the walk-up in New York, you know, versus the suburban home in Ohio? Like these are all, these are all legitimate items that people don't really talk about and it's, it's legitimately interesting and would drive a ton of eyeballs for sure. Totally, totally. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So as we're, as we're coming to the end here, I, I don't want to, I, I want you to have a chance to really talk about the housing joint adventure and, or housing joint venture, not adventure. I mean, it might be an adventure. But, <laughs> it's um, an adventure. You know, it's an adventure for sure. It's definitely an adventure. <laughs> you even slip, I suppose. Um, so it, let's talk about that a little bit and, and, um, and how people can, you know, how that might be of value to someone, how yeah. they can find you if they want to find you. So talk a little bit about that and, and uh, let's, let's wrap up. Certainly, certainly. You can find me on LinkedIn. So I, I, I think I, that's my most prolific platform because, you why, know, I'm why does that not surprise me? <laughs> I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. Why does that LinkedIn? not? That's exactly what I was thinking. I was going to call you a nerd. I'm glad you did it to yourself. I am. It's a term of endearment in my opinion. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so Housing Joint Venture, we are an education and development firm. Um, so what that means is we, as, as I mentioned, we actually do development. So I had the pleasure and still have the pleasure of being married to a real estate developer and city and regional planner. Um, and so, as I mentioned, what we love to do is take existing properties, renovate them, and then put them on the market as I call them budget-friendly housing. So we're not, we're not in the affordable housing space because, you know, that has a lot of um, additional connotations, but budget-friendly. So really a good value add. So we are improving probably 10 to 20% above market, i.e. granite countertops and rental properties. And so you can command a, a slightly higher price point, but also provide a, a property that is really quality in an area where most of the time the, the housing quality is, is lacking, mostly due to an underinvestment systemically. And so that's what we love to do on the development side and getting more into things like ground up development and stuff like that. So one of the things that really came um, apparent in the pandemic, you know, in 2020 was just how uninformed people are about the power of real estate and its ability to allow you to grow and scale. You know, as I mentioned, I'm still in my early 30s and we have properties in four cities. We're in Columbus, Toledo, Dayton and Detroit. You know, I did invest in Texas. We've now divested from there. But, you know, the amount you of experience you've, what? you've divested, divested, as in you you sold whatever you had there. I, I, I never heard that word before. That's good. really. Yeah. Uh, so to invest and divest. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Love that. Yes. Yes. SAT terms. SAT terms. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So it, it, to me, the, the ability to have outsized growth in your potential of income and your potential to, of growing your net worth is just unprecedented in the space of real estate. And so we just really felt it was honestly our duty to help other people learn how they can do so as well. And so that's when we really focused on the education side of the business as well. So now we really help professionals of all sorts really explore income property ownership as a way, again, to really accelerate that net worth growth. A lot of folks are like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm working my maybe my nine to five and this 401k isn't really uh, giving me this life of luxury and riches that I thought it would. Like, mm, it's not really it's not really happening for me. Um, and then even smaller developers that are trying to scale, but really struggling with it. And so, as I mentioned, really focusing on that business plan, which sounds boring. I'll be honest, a business plan sounds boring, but it really does empower you to if you need to raise private money, you, you have all the data already there. When you need to get bank financing, having a business plan is super duper strong, regardless of your track record. And so that really is something that we've noticed that people that scale to that million dollar mark in terms of assets, asset value, they, they all have a business plan. I'll give you some very interesting stats that I found out recently. Did you know that only 7%, like literally 7% of Americans have income property based on their tax returns? And of that 7%, only 7% of them have asset values over a million dollars. Most landlords only have one property, one investment property. And so to really not just be an investor, but an investor at the million dollar mark, you are 0.05% of the population. And that's in the million dollar mark, meaning equity position? Exactly. Equity position. Exactly. Which is crazy because it's not that hard to meet especially in a market like this, it's really not that hard to meet. True. Yeah. And, and so it's really bonkers. It's like, okay, so people, you can get started, but people tend to struggle. They tend to quit. We all know people that used to be in real estate. <laughs> and so what is it that really separates those millionaire investors from those that struggle, quit, and, you know, never really get their footing underneath them. And it's really about being able to make decisions quickly and being confident in that decision-making. And so again, it's about really forming your own key performance indicators and then building a plan of implementation. And so that's what we do. So that's how my nerdy self helps other folks in real estate. <laughs> it's fascinating. And I, honestly, I'm I'm a little surprised that 7% uh, are investors. That seems yep. high to me. That's actually impressive. Now the seven of the seven, mm -hmm. that doesn't, that, that also, that actually doesn't surprise me. Um, right. Because it makes sense. It, it, you know, it's the best of the best. It's you know, it's the 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 five percent are, are the the ones making the most money out of you know mm -hmm. the kind of thing in, in any company. Um, correct. It's fascinating. Correct, so correct. we can find you on LinkedIn. What about your yep. website? Can we find yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Else? Yeah, absolutely. Else? If you if you're looking to uh, to learn more about our our education and how we help folks, you can go to our website housingjv.com um, or specifically the investing bootcamp. Com. So that tells you all about our boot camp where we help investors really learn how to grow and scale. And so certainly housingjv.com. What was the second Correct. One? The T-H-E investing bootcamp.com. 
and, and certainly if any agents are looking to um, basically help their clients, um, we're certainly help, very happy to offer a referral um, fee for their, for their recommendation. So certainly happy to work with them in that regard, if they think it'll be helpful for their clients. I mean, that's actually really smart as, as an agent too. If you refer a client into this platform, all you're doing is, is empowering Making a stronger them. Client and, for you. I would think most will come back to you as the agent. Oh yeah. Uh, because you were the ones who put them into that's really great. I love that. Uh, now, are you anywhere else? Are you Facebook, Instagram, are you anywhere else? I am not as prolific, but I am. So housing at housing JV on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, my personal one is linked there as well. I am RTD underscore PhD on Insta. <laughs> RTD? So, yes, like Rochelle, my maiden name was Thomas. So Rochelle Thomas Delia underscore PhD on Instagram. Got it. I need to know these things because I. Yes, to, you I do. Yes, you do. Right. Awesome. <laughs> this has been great, Rochelle. This has been um, this has been fun. I, I'm actually I've already thought about as we've been talking about some of the things that, that I, I will post about this. But uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, I look forward to interacting along the interwebs. Um, and like I said, tag me. I'm, I'm getting better at Instagram. I am. I'm a millennial. I should be. You, you should know, be. That's right. I should be all over the place. Right. I need to get better at it. That's right. I love it. I, you know, if you'd asked me when we started this podcast, are you you're gonna talk about caribou migration? I'd have been like, what the <laughs> hell are you talking about? I'm gonna have to, gonna have to send you a caribou article. <laughs> uh, please, actually, I'm gonna go Google it as soon as yeah, we get the off. Caribou this. migration so, patterns, correct? Yes, please do because uh, I'm gonna turn that into content. I love it. This has been fantastic. You have been a joy to talk to. Uh, thank you so much for being on. Oh my goodness. It has been an absolute pleasure as well. Thank you so much. And it has been my pleasure to be here. And um, I'm just so excited to be a part of the, a part of the community now. Awesome. We're, we're glad to have you. This episode of the Lab Code Agents podcast is brought to you by RedX, the complete real estate prospecting solution. RedX offers high quality lead data on expireds, for sale by owners, vacant rental property owners, pre-foreclosures, and geo leads, the number one data source for neighborhood prospecting. You can also filter, organize, and call your leads inside Vortex, the all-in-one lead management platform, free with any lead subscription. With RedX, you get more than just phone numbers. You get all the tools you need to connect with more homeowners who are actively looking to sell. RedX is offering our listeners $150 off. Just go to redx.bz forward slash LCA. That's R-E-D-X dot B-Z forward slash LCA to sign up for Red X today.